This is Stephen Strang, and welcome to the Guide and Cancel Culture podcast. Today, I'm giving you an excerpt from Chapter 10, Hurricanes of Revival. We've been reading through it uh, day by day by day. I did the audio myself. We don't give you the entire chapter. We're wanting you to want to listen to the whole book or maybe buy the book. But this is a chapter that brings hope. You know, the Bible says that all things work together for good. And Mario Murillo, my longtime friend, actually gave me this word picture of hurricanes of revival. He says there's such a low pressure in terms of morality and spirituality that in the same way when that happens in weather, that the air rushes in and creates a hurricane. And I, I won't go more into it right now because I describe it in the chapter. And so stay tuned and then I'll have a message at the end. Good spiritual winds seem to be blowing again. As a longtime Florida resident, I know a thing or two about strong winds and hurricanes. I've lived through a few. From June through November, weather conditions often cause a type of vacuum to form over the ocean. At these times, barometric pressure drops so deeply, it causes winds to rush in and equalize it, sometimes resulting in 200-mile-per-hour gusts. But what if this happened in the spiritual realm to our nation? Mario Morello believes it is about to. He doesn't mean winds of persecution or war. He means a hurricane of revival. Morello says the way hurricanes form paints a picture of what he sees happening in our society today. One of the patterns for revival that Jesus referred to as weather, Morello told me, referring to Matthew 24, 29 to 31. He said, you see the color of the sky and the cloud formations, and you know what's coming, and you don't discern the signs of the times. Murillo said the big flashing sign of the times today is spiritual hunger and a vacuum of answers. When there's a vacuum of good, something must rush in to fill it. Observing the cultural signs, Murillo believes it is inevitable that a revival is coming. The natural hunger for God is something that no atheist can abolish. No university can ban, he said. No human engineering is ever going to be capable of erasing man's deep desire to know God and the inner emptiness that they feel. When you create a culture where you don't know what gender you are, you don't know what's up, what's down, what's truth, what's false, who you can believe, all of a sudden these deep, Eternal yearnings rise to the surface, and people turn to God. Murillo believes the spiritual vacancy and hunger are profound in our day. Much like a hurricane, when God's Spirit falls in a culture that is starved for the truth, it will overrun the walls of the church. We have seen this happen many times through history in the great revivals we now honor and celebrate. The hunger is there, Murillo said, the tide of spiritual awareness has gone out so far that youth are starved. It could be a new Jesus movement. It could be something else. But anyone who supposes that something big is not at work is going to miss it. Heaven's Library Morello became well-known in Christian circles during the Jesus movement in California in the 1970s as a fiery young evangelist who saw drug addicts, social radicals, and many others come to Christ. 
More than a generation later, other young leaders are rising up to also declare the approach of a coming revival. One such person is a young pastor named Chris Reed, a relatively new voice on the national scene whose gift of highly accurate and timely words of knowledge has already made a huge impact on leading ministries in America. Reed told me that at the end of 2020, he had a spiritual encounter that he calls the Library of Heaven with an angel he said was named the Fear of the Lord. That angel has a lot to do with the revival many believe is about to sweep the globe. I felt it was important enough to include it in this chapter. In this encounter, Reed felt a holy reference and awe as he was drawn to a bookcase labeled The Supernatural and to a specific book there titled The Seven Spirits of God. On the front cover were the words, The Spirit of the Lord. Each page, he told me, was thick and white, like a book within itself. The first page was titled, The Spirit of Wisdom. The next, The Spirit of Living Understanding or Revelation. The third, The Spirit of Counsel. The fourth, The Spirit of Might. And the sixth, The Spirit of Knowledge. These corresponded to the description of the seven spirits of God listed in Isaiah 11.2. Reed turned the book over, and the back cover read, The Spirit of the Fear of the Lord. He glanced up and down to see that the back cover had been torn off, and then all of the pages in the book fell out. He was left holding the front cover, which said, The Spirit of the Lord. The angel with him in this library said, Do you understand what you're seeing? What you are seeing is the result of when the Spirit of the Lord is torn out or missing in the church. You lose the spirit of counsel and might. You lose the spirit of wisdom in everyday situations, knowing how to apply knowledge and wisdom. You lose the spirit of revelation, so people operate out of an intellect and head knowledge. Finally, he said, when you lose the fear of the Lord, all you're left with is the atmosphere. Reed instantly thought of the many church services he had been where he didn't see the spirit of might in the form of miracles or the spirit of knowledge in words of knowledge or revelation. But people still said, we feel the spirit of the Lord. We feel the presence of the Lord. Reed told me, there's got to be more than just an atmosphere and a feeling that the spirit brings. We've got to have the full, complete spirit of God at work, or all we're left with is an atmosphere. The full work of the Spirit comes when the fear of the Lord is present, he said. That means a reverential awe and a hatred of all kinds of sin, according to Proverbs 8.13, which says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Reed said, Holiness and godliness returns to the church naturally when there is a sovereign outpouring of the Spirit of the fear of the Lord. But it doesn't end there. Reed drew my attention Acts 5, where he read about Ananias and Sapphira, who fell dead after they lied about their giving. The result was great fear came to the entire church on all those who heard these things. Verse 11. This immediately led to the return of signs and wonders at an unprecedented level, a supernatural unity, a heightened respect of the church by the world, exponential growth, 
a harvest of souls, angelic activity, and the healing of the sick in unprecedented ways. All these results are found in Acts 5, after the fear of the Lord returned to the early church. So much is tied to a restoration of the fear of the Lord, Reed told me. There is a complete, sevenfold, perfected element of the Spirit of God at work in the church again. That's what we want. The Kindness and Severity of God We badly need the fear of the Lord because, as renowned pastor and theologian Dr. R.T. Kendall believes, America is under judgment. Kendall's recent book, We've Never Been This Way Before, details this judgment and why it's happening through the biblical lens of Joshua leading the people of Israel into the Promised Land. God is fed up and he's angry, Kendall said. He sees four reasons for the judgment on America. Racism, legalized abortion, same-sex marriage, and theological liberalism in the pulpits. But Kendall also sees hope. God is at the bottom of this. But it's gracious judgment, he said. It means that he's trying to get our attention. It's not retribution or judgment where God just gets even and punishes. No, he's been gracious to us to get our attention, to drive us to our knees, and it will end up with America crying out like they've never done before. Kendall said, God will answer. And it's my view, the only thing that will save us will be this awakening, not unlike what we saw in the 18th century under the preaching of people like Jonathan Edwards or the Cane Ridge Revival in the early 19th century. We're talking about something huge, not ordinary revival, something that gets the attention of the world. Kendall shared a brief story from Joshua 5 to point out a critical need in our nation. As Joshua entered the Promised Land, he saw this awesome figure. Joshua said, are you for us? Or for our adversaries, and the figure, which happened to be an angel, said, neither. Well, that is not the answer that Joshua wanted, Kendall said. What we need is to learn about God, and what has been forgotten is that he is a God of glory, and he just does things for his own glory. Jonathan Edwards, who is the main figure in the Great Awakening in the 18th century, used to say that the one thing the devil cannot duplicate is a love for the glory of God. The flesh cannot produce it. Only God can do it. Joshua is learning that we do not have any entitlement, Kendall said. The curse of our generation, in my opinion, is a feeling of entitlement. The idea is that we can snap our fingers and expect God to jump. There is no fear of God in the world today. There is no fear of God in the nation. There is little, if any, fear of God in the church and that will be restored. And that was what the angel was saying to Joshua, and I think that's what we need to learn and what is going to bring about this great awakening. It is a restoration of the fear of God. That's my conviction. That's what we need in this hour. What is the coming revival? Hundreds of leaders for dozens of years have spoken of a reality they call the next great awakening the greatest revival in history, and other superlatives. What exactly are contemporary leaders saying about this coming move of God? And are they simply echoing one another or perhaps speaking fond hopes rather than future realities? One prominent voice in this chorus belongs to Sean Foyt, 
who you may have read about in Charisma or whose viral videos you may have seen online. He is an on-fire preacher and worship leader who has brought the presence of God to Christians in many parts of the world. After the COVID-19 outbreak in 2020, Voight began holding outdoor worship concerts in various parts of the country. When others were feeding on fear, Voight and his growing group of followers went hard after God. Voight is no slouch in the public arena either. He ran for Congress, even though it was unsuccessful, in Northern California in 2020. In August 2020, Voight shifted his focus to leading Let Us Worship, a series of outdoor revivals that he has been holding across the country. You can tell something's working when the legacy media attacks it and starts throwing around hackneyed insults such as super spreader. Rolling Stone blared that slur in a headline that said, Jesus Christ super spreader. Foyt embraced it and had t-shirts emblazoned with the slogan. But of course, he meant a super spreader of the gospel of the kingdom. Many who attend his events have already come to know Christ, but the fact is they show up by the thousands virtually everywhere Foyt goes to lead an evening of worship, and it demonstrates their deep desire for spiritual things. Yet Foyt has received withering criticisms from within the ranks of Christians too, especially from young people who fault him with being insensitive, even dangerous, because of his actions during the pandemic. The comments on his social media at times resemble knockdown, drag-out arguments between those who think he's spreading love and freedom and those who think he should be obeying the governing authorities and respect the decisions of those in political power. Headlines have declared Foyt is leading a new Jesus movement, but what do his events really tell us? That the revival is already on us or that the hunger for revival is here? but the actual awakening hasn't arrived yet. The most optimistic view, and the one I take, is that God is answering the prayer for more labors in the harvest. The young people who show up are willing to brave scorn and even physical threats, like the ones worshiping face during Foyt's event in Seattle. This shows a level of metal that will be necessary should the world react violently against the coming move of God. Rather than trying to determine what his events are pointing to, perhaps we should ask instead, what would life be like if Foyt weren't out there holding these worship events? Who or what would have filled the gap? The many thousands who follow his events on social media or attend them in person receive powerful encouragement. He has raised a Christian standard in a difficult season in a way few people have been brave enough to even attempt. Clearly, God is using him to bring forth an army that he will deploy for his good purposes. The church must wake up and expose corruption. Various faith leaders with divergent ministries have echoed Foyt's call for the church to arrive. Mario Murillo isn't a politician, nor does he pretend to be one. He has spent much of his life traveling the globe to share the gospel of Christ. But back in 2012, the Lord told him to begin a blog about political issues, and he obeyed. That blog at mariomurilloministries.wordpress.com has now had more than 12.5 million readers 
And God continues to use Murillo to speak unvarnished truth to today's believers. More than ever in this post-election season, Murillo says the church must expose the corruption and allow God to take us beyond what he calls a Red Sea moment and into the promised land of last day intimacy with him. I'm telling people right now that the church is divided against itself, Murillo said in a recent interview. One of the reasons that I believe the church was in worse shape before the pandemic than now is because we had no idea how wimpy and divided and disconnected from reality the church was. Many leaders wanted a big church. They were willing to make some costly mistakes in order to change from reforming a culture to having a large empire. Morello said the concept of cheap grace has led to the church's lack of engagement with the governmental mountain of influence. We had no political involvement because we didn't sense danger, he said. And sensing danger was something that didn't go with the image of the new God, the Father, who was so into us that he had compromised every one of his attributes in order to appeal to us. So we had no heart for war. Here we are right now. We're at the Red Sea. And some Christians are saying, well, let's just side with Biden and let this go. Let's not investigate. We're looking bad to the world because we don't have a clue what's at stake. They're saying, oh, well, you know, in four years, Trump could run again. Well, right now we're having the weasel guard the chicken coop. And the fact is, we don't know what it's going to look like in four years, if there will be anything for Trump to save. The church's laissez-faire attitude is at fault. But God has promised protection for the righteous, Murillo said. Jesus said to the Laodicean church, you believe you don't need anything. We've had years of that. We've had years of becoming experts in marketing, planning, multi-campusing, and all this stuff. But we did not preach the counsel of God to America. So therefore, in Revelation 3, God said, You're poor, miserable, blind, and naked, and you don't know it. Then he said, I stand at the door and knock. That's what everyone must listen for, that knock, Murillo said. This is the paradox of the hour. God is affording to us an intimacy with him that has not been available to prior generations. God is saying, just as they are delving into dramatic evil and wickedness, you can enjoy intimacy and righteousness with God and a peace that passes understanding. But not if we don't open the door. We must open the door and he will come in. And all of these tremendous blessings of the last days will be unfolded. Jane Hammond was known initially as the daughter-in-law of Apostle Bill Hammond of Christian International in Florida. But now she has received acclaim for her own powerful prophetic ministry. She offered me her interpretation of God's purposes in this unique season. I think God is wanting to keep us focused in prayer, Hammond told me. God's wanting to keep us focused in believing the Lord, but then trusting the prophetic word that have come forth in so many different prophets during this last season of time, through dreams and visions and all kinds of ways. I believe that we would be remiss if we just threw up our hands and said, well, that's that. 
She believes we're in a place to do as 1 Timothy instructs us, which says, war, a warfare with the prophecies that have gone before us. And so that's our responsibility, Hammond said. It's God's responsibility for the outcome, but it's our responsibility to align with him and with what the prophets have said, to pray, to decree, and to war against the forces of darkness and corruption that I think would like to rob from this nation the destiny and purpose that God has called us to. Despite the current chaos, Hammond believes the church is already moving into a season of revival. She says this revival will look different from the Toronto Blessing or the Brownsville revival of years past. Hammond said God told her, an awakening is an epidemic of revival or a pandemic. In other words, today you can catch revival and then everybody you get around catches it and everyone they get around catches it. I don't believe we're in a COVID crisis or any kind of economic crisis. I believe we're in a spiritual crisis for the heart of the nation. It's going to be a widespread, massive move of God, but it's going to start with every single one of us. Hammond also has words of encouragement for the church as it grapples with unprecedented challenges in our day. God has a plan in the midst of all this chaos that's going on, she said. He warned us at the beginning of 2020 and said, listen, this is going to be a year that you're going to have to overcome some things. That's the only way you can become an overcomer is to overcome some things. You've got to stay focused on what Jesus has spoken to each individual. Each person is going to have to get focused on that. We're going to have to get very optimistic about the promises of God that he promised for us revival and awakening. He promises for a mighty comeback. The church in America, she believes, is rising up and waking up and being set on fire by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The enemies come in and is going to try to bring a lot of discouragement and a lot of despair. And I really believe that it's time for people to shake themselves and wake themselves and recognize that we're coming into the church's greatest hour. I believe that God is going to use the United States to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth again. And I believe that God is waking up believers out of their slumber and bringing them into a full expression of the destiny, the purpose, and the calling of God. Well, we're almost through the book. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. We have just the conclusion coming up tomorrow called All Things Work Together for Good. I tried to end on hope. You know, people don't like reading about negative things and cancel culture and the persecution and all the stuff with COVID and the threat of communism uh, on our own shores is not happy, clappy at all. But, you know, the Bible says that all things work together for good. So tune in tomorrow and you'll get the conclusion of my book. Meanwhile, you can order the audio version on Audible and other platforms. You can get the book at many different places, but I like to encourage people to come to my own website, stevestrangbooks.com. You can even email me at info at charismamedia.com. I love your feedback. And come back again tomorrow for the conclusion. All things work together for good.